All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another Boca Podcast live episode. We are live streaming. For those of you that might be listening to the audio after the fact, we actually live stream all of our Boca Podcasts now. And you can watch the replays if you go to facebook.com slash Boca Podcast. You can also find out when the next live stream is if you follow us on Instagram at Boca Podcast. So B-O-K-E-H-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, Boca Podcast on Instagram. Make sure to follow us. Come join the conversation. And then for those of you who may be watching or listening live today, please don't hesitate to make this a group discussion, group conversation. Don't hesitate to ask questions, make comments. You can send us some funny emojis if you want to, but we'd love to have you involved in the conversation. Let's make it a group thing. And I think we'll have a lot of fun that way. Before I introduce my guest for today, I also want to just throw up a reminder here. I promised you all I would do this before every podcast episode. I've made a quick donation to Charity Water. And whether it's charitywater.org or another national or international organization or even your local community, look for ways to give back. Um, I was encouraged by a recent guest, Sean Lee, who came on the show and was talking about the significance of giving back. And I want to encourage you all to do the same thing. He certainly pushed me to do that. Um, it's it's amazing how sometimes even just a little bit of money can go a long ways. And with Charity Water, for example, $40 means somebody has clean drinking water. And that's a big deal. So look for those opportunities. I just want to leave that encouragement with you. You may have seen me pop up that receipt on the screen there. That's just a little bit of accountability. But I encourage you to look for those opportunities. All right. Well, I'm going to introduce our guest for today, a brand new guest at that. LaJoy Cox is here with me. LaJoy, thank you so much for making time to do this, to hang out with me. We already had some fun conversation and we're going to dig into a lot today. Yes, we are. Thank you for having me. Well, and we're going to, we're actually going to get into, I mean, it it almost sounds cliche, LaJoy. So you're going to have to break this cliche and like prove everybody wrong. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about how to make more money. And a lot of times when that topic comes up, people are like, ah, clickbait. And maybe they'll just kind of walk away from it. But I'm, you already shared a little bit about what you're going to be talking about today. And I'm excited about the practical value that we're going to get into. And we'll come to that here in just a little bit. But before we do, I normally start with a series of questions for our guests. And the first of those has to do with brand position or a unique value proposition that you bring to your market. Share with our listeners, if you will, what market you're based in and what your brand position is. Um, Right now, I am based in the Atlanta, Georgia area. I focus mainly on luxury wedding photography as well as lifestyle and fashion photography. And a lot of people are like, how does lifestyle and fashion go together? I'm not quite sure. But for (laughs) me, in the city of Atlanta, it makes perfect sense. Everyone here is kind of a celebrity. (laughs) And maybe you're just that good that you can do all of the above, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like, yeah. Okay. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, while you were talking there, I brought up on the screen, and of course, for those of you listening to the audio after the fact, this is what you miss out on if you're not viewing the live stream. But I pulled up on screen your website, lajoyphotography.com, just like it sounds, L A J O Y photography.com. And we'll link to it as well as LaJoy's Instagram in the show notes, LaJoy Photography LLC. Uh, we'll put all of that in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. And yeah, I'm on your Instagram page right now. I'm just scrolling through and you really do a beautiful job of mixing that that kind of fashion, the style and wedding all together. And honestly, it, it also doesn't feel as I'm looking through this because I see so many photographers work. It doesn't feel kind of forced or cliche. It's got a beautiful, classic, yet stylish vibe to it. Um, and I Thank love how you. you're mixing that in with the weddings. I think it's really, really nice. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, I try and and keep my clients happy by giving them something 
um, I guess everyone, like I said, wants to be a celebrity. So making them look like mm. they are luxury and mm-hmm. they do this every single day. I, that feeling of celebrity or like where you're being taken care of or pampered, um, I, it's, it's an unusual feeling because it doesn't happen all the time. I was actually, I, I signed up for a, like a little onboarding session with a company yesterday and it was only a half hour long. But to have somebody literally handhold me through this particular service that I was observing, it felt it makes you feel great. It felt amazing. Yeah. I mean, I had literally had this like <laughs> physical sensation of, oh man, it feels good to be taken care of, be pampered. But that's the kind of experience that you're trying to bring to your clients, right? Yes. And it also makes them feel like, oh my gosh, like I, I want to return because I've never felt like this before, mm. but I like it. I don't know if I should get all of this extra wonderful <laughs> attention, Okay, but I definitely want to come back and get more of it. Well, so talk to me about this and I didn't plan on going here, but I'm curious to get your take because you actually have beautiful work to show. Um, so this is not a comp, a, a conversation, I guess, of compromise. But when we look at the contrast between the significance that imagery plays and the significance uh-huh. that experience plays, and not only bringing in clients, but then also bringing back clients, like you talked about the referrals, if you were to, if you were to give us a percentage split between the two um, in priority, what would you give, give that? Um, as far as how many people I get back? Well, no, no, just a percentage. Like if you were to say 70, 30, it's experience over imagery or, you know, 60, 40 imagery over experience, what actually drives business for you? What do you think that is? I think it's more experience. Okay. I've been put in some really crazy situations. I mean, absolutely insane. Uh, when you're talking about lighting, as far as what's happening at the actual photo shoot. And I think my experience allows me to adapt and Mm. then make sure that I can still deliver an amazing image at the end. So it really, like I've worked sick. I've worked um, on sets of TV shows where Mm. there's craziness going around me and Mm -hmm. it's just so much. And you can't really show people that you're, you're frantic in your brain. Like you have to look like I have this, I have this all together. Mm. So then me being able to act on the fly is something that I definitely pride myself in being at a wedding or being anywhere where things can change in the, in a minute and you have to get it. Like you have 15 seconds to figure this out and get this together in your head. Yeah. So do you, do you like that that sensation of being challenged? Like you got to think on the fly and on the go in the moment, or is it a little too much sometimes? I think I do. I think I am like a chaos. I'm drawn to the chaos of of the wedding day. I'm drawn to the chaos of the TV shows I've done. I'm drawn to that because Mm. I keep signing up for it. (laughs) I've had the craziest things happen and I never get put off by it. Once it's Mm. over, I'm like, oh my God, I I did that. It was amazing. And I got some really great stuff out of it. And the Mm. clients are usually extremely pleased because they're like, how did you do that Mm. with what's going on? Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about that kind of statement, again, is it brings us back to the the point of conversation experience, right? You're you're obviously (laughs) generating beautiful images, but your mindset and then the, the experience that you give your clients as a result of that mindset, the fact that you can go with the flow and be in the middle of that chaos and still come away with, come away with something really great is super impactful. And they walk away certainly with beautiful images, but they're like, oh man, it's so easy to work with a joy. I absolutely want to go back and do that again. 
Yes. I will say that I'm extremely fast when I work. So mm-hmm. being able to think on my feet, being able to, hey, you know, the flash is not firing. Let me go ahead and switch to natural light really quick. Um, or the natural lights, it's too dark in here. Mm-hmm. Throw this flash on there, get these settings together, mm-hmm. and then I have it. Yeah. I think I see things differently, too, because I, I was a darkroom photographer first. Okay. So when I shoot, I've taught classes where all of my students had different cameras, mm. different lenses, mm-hmm. and we're outside in a natural light, you know, open setting. And I can tell each of them what settings they need to have their camera on yep. without looking through their viewfinder. Yep. So I just once, see things different. Well, and once you have that, you're talking about your experience. Once you have that experience where you've done it so many times that it just flows in the moment then that translates to the experience you give your client. And of course, beautiful imagery as a result. But um, I, I think it's a beautiful thing to have certainly a certain amount of attention to the quality of the imagery. But the reality at the end of the day is that, you know, I mean, I've got my phone right here. This phone can take beautiful images and I, I don't even have to try. Like I just push a button and it takes a gorgeous image, right? It does all the calculation and computation for me. So at this point in time, I mean, we've certainly reached and have been really at, at a stage in our photography industry where pretty images only get us so far what we then have to do is create an incredible experience. And it sounds like you're really doing that. I think it's incredible. Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and speaking of that, then, so talk about it, customer experience. Um, when we go, brand position is, is one thing, right? But we have to deliver on that. We're creating this customer experience. Besides that consistency that you bring to the customer experience that you were just describing, that, that way that you're able to kind of handle and manage chaos, is there any other big idea that drives the customer experience that you bring to your clients that you think makes a big difference? Uh, the biggest thing that I hear from my clients is, thank you for getting back to me so quickly. Mm. I think a lot of businesses, they take that, you know, the, the same thing that we put on our contact pages, allow 24 to 48 hours for us to get back to you. I may put that on my website, but I don't care if it's 2 a.m. If I see it, if my assistant sees it, we're going to respond. You're staying on top of it. We make sure that we stay on top of our emails. We're going to get back to you. We don't want you to feel like you're being ignored. We want to mm. make sure that you're like extremely pleased with how fast we're going to get back to you, how fast we're going to handle a situation. At most, it's taken me a couple hours and wow. I'd have to be extremely busy and my assistant has to be busy because if I'm at a wedding and I can't respond, mm-hmm. I know she's got it. And even if I didn't see that she answered it like almost immediately, I have my my beats in and I'll go ahead and do a quick phone call. Hey, such and such just emailed. Can you just get back to her really quickly and reassure her that we can set up a call for tomorrow. I'm at a wedding right now or when I get ready to eat at the wedding or whatever the case is. And I know some people are like, Oh, that's, that's too much. You're, you're draining yourself. But I, as a customer know that I like to feel like I am your priority. Mm -hmm. I want to be heard. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a huge deal. Well, so, but I'm curious, and this is actually a great segue to my next question about time management and, and some type of balance, right? Balance looks different for everybody, but how do you juggle having a life outside of work while also maintaining that kind of urgency and the response time to your clients? Lots and lots of post-its. I keep my <laughs> post-its all over my desk and they're all, they're kind of color coded. Mm. I try and keep like, Hey, I have to edit. That's going to be bright pink. 
Um, blue okay. is going to be phone calls. Yellow okay. will be something completely different. And then if I give myself 14 days to edit a client's work, mm. they usually get it back within maybe like seven or eight days. However, I want them to have the expectation that it can take up to 14 days. I'm going to respond to the emails that I have with you. But if I have a free day and I know that I can knock this, this edit job out within like an hour, I'm going to go ahead and get that done so that I can cross it off my list. I don't like seeing a bunch of things pile up for me. Yeah. I do like to make sure that I get them done as soon as possible. So I think, again, being fast, being able to give them back their work as soon as possible and make sure I'm paying attention to the clients that are new that are coming in or the repeat people. But do you feel like you can ever turn it off amidst all that? I mean, I, I really respect and appreciate the attention to urgency, but I don't want to feel like, you know, at night at some point yeah. during the day, I want to feel like I can actually shut off and, and just relax for a second, like just turn my brain off and not constantly have to look at my stupid phone. What, do you ever get to turn off that way? So then at that point, I hand everything over to my assistant. I let okay. her speak to the client and then I will schedule myself personal days. Okay. I'll make sure I block off on the calendar like this Friday, Saturday and Sunday is the only weekend that I have off this month. I'm going to keep it for just myself and my family. And maybe that next following week, I'll take off a Wednesday. If I feel like I'm getting overwhelmed, I will take an entire week off for the entire month okay. and let her handle the email portion. And mm. I'll just handle the edits mm. and then spend time with my family because I know mm. I can do both and, you know, split that time up and not feel like I'm being overwhelmed. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're just setting me up perfectly here as an interviewer, you're making my job easy, but a great segue actually to my next question, which is, has to do with delegation outsourcing mm -hmm. certainly. And I think, I mean, people use the word outsourcing a lot, I think specifically to refer to delegating editing work to a company or to an assistant or otherwise, yeah. but you have an assistant specifically. So you're delegating work to an assistant. And I'm, I'm very curious about this because in some ways, despite having worked with a relatively large team now for some time, I'm still learning. I, I feel like I'm still a rookie when it comes to delegation and especially as it relates to communication. Do you have any kind of tips or tricks when it comes to de delegating something to somebody else? in order to most effectively get that thing done the way that you would like while also kind of maintaining a good relationship with that person? My assistant is amazing at me being able to rattle something off to her. And then she types like super, super fast. Okay. So if I need to do a phone call with her really quickly, I'll say, Hey, I need you to get back to her. Let her know that I'm going to be out of the office this week, but I'll definitely get her photos back to her. She's already done sending off the email. She's like, I got it. Um, do you want me to go ahead and press send now? And I'm like, sure, go ahead. Wow. I also have to be able to step back and understand that I've worked with her for a couple months to make sure that she got everything. She knows me as a person. So she knows how I will respond to certain things with my clients. And that's really important too. So finding someone who knows you as a person and not just as a business person. Hmm. That, that I would assume takes a little bit of time, right? Or is it, is it more a matter of kind of establishing a certain number of expectations up front so they know how you think, know how you work? Um, establishing expectations up front, but then at the same time, um, making sure that you have that personal connection with them. So 
everything is 100% professional between myself and my assistant. However, because she knows how I would react to certain situations with clients, she doesn't always have to call me and ask me like, hey, this is going on. What should I say to this person? She's like, hey, this happened. I went on ahead and handled it. I told her this. I let them know that they cannot have this. They have to do this instead. And it's really seamless. And I'm like, wow, Like she, she gets me as a person. Yeah. It's still super professional. Mm. And my biggest thing was I can't teach someone personality. Mm. I need them to feel the same way that I feel about customer service as I do. Okay. And that was the biggest thing. So one last question here, because I'm very curious, because you, you're talking about your assistant in such a like a wonderful, wonderful way. So you've obviously had a really great experience. But how do you go about when you talk about not being able to teach personality? How do you go about, I guess, filtering for the right person when you hire that person? How did you go about that process? I guess I just got a feeling. I do the same thing okay. with my shooters for my second company. Okay. Um, I bring them with me. They work with me at a wedding uh, for LaJoy Photography. Mm-hmm. And if I feel like throughout the day, the way that they talk about the flow of the day, like it can be a million horrible things going on. And not to say that this person can't complain. They can be like, oh my God, today was horrible. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe that. Happened. But at the end of it, if they have a smile on their face and they're like, Ugh. But look at the photos I got. They were amazing. And they're still excited. That's the person I would hire to shoot for first look photography. Because even though I'm burnt out at the end of a wedding day and I'm like, this is crazy. I can't believe I do this every other weekend. At the end of it, I'm like, but I absolutely love it. And I mm. can't wait to go home and edit because these pictures look amazing. <laughs> you so got I know then. Yeah. So I know then that, you know their personality is exactly what I need. Hmm. But if they're going to approach the day as if it's not that important, that's my biggest thing. The, the photo shoot, the wedding, whatever it is, may not be the most important thing to us, but it's the most important thing, thing to that person at that time. So, so we have to treat it that way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Creating that, and well, and, and we only have so much time today, so I want to ask you too many more questions about that, but creating that environment or helping your shooters uh, learn how to communicate and engage with the client to create that environment for them. I bet that in and of itself would be an interesting conversation to kind of dig into. How many photographers do you have working with you on your team? Uh, for first look photography, we have about, I want to say eight to 10 Wow! at any given time. And okay. it just depends on how busy they get with their own companies, what their workload is, and we kind of rotate them out. And if I need to replace someone, then I start, you know, vetting someone else to get them into the position. But first look is, if I'm able to come 100% send them off to a wedding and then walk away, like I've, the first time I sat at home and I didn't attend the wedding, I was on pins and needles. I was sitting at my desk the whole day. I'm like looking at my phone like they're going to need me. They're going to need me. I'm going to have to jump in the car. Yeah. And they did not need me. Mm-hmm. Everything went perfectly, even though there were hiccups throughout the day. Timelines all messed up as usual because, you know, that's a wedding day. Right. But they handled it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I can do this. I can just be a boss and let my 
people go out, let them shoot, and then get the photos afterwards. I usually take them to lunch. We sit down. We laugh about the whole day as I download the photos. And then they tell me all the crazy stories. (laughs) And that's usually the end of it. I love it. Well, we might at some point, if you have the time and are willing to, we might have to kind of delve into this topic on a different episode about about the way that you manage your team, because it sounds really interesting to me. But let me actually take a step back even further before it even comes to managing a photographer or group of photographers. You just you seem to know so much and you have this calm about you, too, as a business owner. That's that's really impressive. I'd be curious where where your sources of education and inspiration come from as a business owner? Is it certain books or podcasts or other sources? What comes to mind? I actually started my business. I When I started, I went to Barnes and Noble and I went to the photography section. Yeah. I sat on the floor and mm-hmm. I pulled out a bunch of books. Yep. And the one that really stuck out to me was a book by a lady named Laura White. Okay. And it's called Photography Business Secrets. I reread that book every single year. Every December when things are slow and there's really nothing going on, I go back through that book and I highlight and I underline things that might apply to me now. When I first picked it up, there were maybe two or three things that I highlighted. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm in way over my head. This is not, that's it. And I'm like, this is not something that I can do. I None of this applies to me. And now mm. that I have been in the business for nine years now, there are so many things in that book that I've accomplished and surpassed that I'm just like, oh my God, I now have a wedding collection that yeah. looks like one of the wedding collections they have in there when I was charging like $700 a wedding. Yeah. Now I have a $12,000 collection. I have brides that come to me and they want that, you know, that full experience that Mm -hmm. they were giving. And Mm -hmm. I was so in awe over when I first read that book. So I like it because, well, and and by the way, for anybody who's listening in, you you heard LaJoy comment about the fact that this is it. I had actually pulled it up on the screen on Amazon, Photography Business Secrets, The Savvy Photographer's Guide to Sales, Marketing, and More by Laura White. Of course, we'll link to this in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. I, I can very much relate to what you were talking about, though, LaJoy. I used to, I, there were a number of books, actually, um, that I used to go to just on a regular basis as inspiration, just kind of flipping through the pages, looking at the images, and, and kind of fantasizing about being able to take something that would look like that. But what I love about this, too, is that you not only took a lot from it that you were able to apply to your business, but now you can also go back to it every year and be encouraged and reminded of, hey, I actually accomplished this. That's kind of fun. Yes. Yes, I absolutely love that book. It's it's been, you know, there for me every single year. Hmm. I have yet to pick it up and think to myself, I haven't learned anything new from it this year. Wow, okay. That that's super compelling. I may have to grab a copy of it myself as well. Cool. And we'll link to that in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. By the way, for everybody listening in, if you go to bocabookshelf.com, we actually have put together a collection of some of the most popular books on the podcast that have been brought up by our guests. So you can check that out, bookabookshelf.com as well. And um, Joy, before we get into kind of our main topic for today, I, I do have one other question to ask you about, is it Hugh House Studios? Is this a new brand that you're getting ready to launch? Yes, this will be my third business. And um, it is going to be a studio that is 
mainly for the lifestyle and fashion girl. Okay. It has a home feel to it, of course. That's why we're calling it Hue House. Okay. But it's going to be full of luxury and it's going to have a rotating, I guess, seasons to it. Like maybe you'll have a moment where you want an all white backdrop. Then you'll have a moment where you want all black. Then you want um, very colorful spaces. And I'm going to have an interior designer come in and they're going to give us these different pieces that work really well with these clients and allow them to get everything that you need within a space without having to go outside having that natural light, but then having also the option of using studio lighting if you would like to. Wow. So I really, I guess I got inspired when going to studios over and over again last year because of COVID and thinking to myself, there's only so much you can do within this space. I want a space where you can do so many different things, where you go into a different room and you get a completely different vibe but it still has that lifestyle feel for it. And a lot of my clients are bloggers, influencers, and brand ambassadors for different companies. And a lot of the work that they do at home, they're not satisfied with because maybe they're, no one likes shooting in their home. I have a beautiful house, but I don't like shooting here for whatever sure. reason. Sure. I would prefer to go and rent a space mm. and then make it look homey. That makes sense. One, creating that bit of separation too between work and home is kind of nice. But one of the things that, that really caught my attention as you're describing this is that you, as an entrepreneur, because this is kind of the epitome of an entrepreneur, you you go to these other studios, you have these other experiences, and you see opportunity to do something different or maybe a little bit better. And you're capitalizing on that. And And I actually pulled up the uh, the website here uh, of course, a coming soon site, but Hugh House Studios, H-U-E House Studios.com. We'll link to that in the show notes as well as the Instagram account as well, Hugh House uh, Atlanta. And it's it's going to be full of color, like just like those. I would, uh, I would essentially love a space that's also going to have a beautiful outdoor space as well. That's my biggest hang up. I am so, I, I need it to be perfect that I cannot decide on a space just yet. And that's (laughs) the only reason why it's not open. I have an investor. I have people who are like, really like, Hey, let's get this open. We got, we got the business plan going. Mm -hmm. We have the, um, trademark in the works right right now. Wow. And, uh, yeah, we just need the space. (laughs) Good for you. I'm, I'm totally cheering for you. I, I'm guilty of starting many businesses <laughs> and sometimes my, my business partners, I, I think a comment the other day, actually, cause I, I threw another idea out there and, and it was like, what, don't we have a little too much on our plate already as it is, but I'm like, man, there's another opportunity and we, we may miss out if we don't capitalize on it. <laughs> yes. My well, next I, thing will probably be like a TV show for us. I feel like everyone has a TV show. Photographers need one too, right? It's very true. They they even have a, a TV show for um, glass blowers. How Do they really? is it that we don't? Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so right. And we don't have a TV show on Netflix. We need one. Okay. So. Yeah, I think you need to be the one to start it up then. I'm in the works with talking to producers from the shows that I've worked with. I stay really? in their ear at least once a year. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, when are you going to be able to give us this TV show? We need it. I love it. 
keep going. I'm cheering you on. And if you ever need any help, <laughs> if I can do anything, let me know. <laughs> well, I actually want to get into kind of our main conversation today. And it's a big one, to be fair. We're going to be talking about how photographers can look for opportunity to make more money than they currently do. Maybe some are just getting started. Maybe some have established businesses and just want to make more. And I know this is a loaded topic, but let's kind of break it down a little bit and start with something that you said um, leading up to this. I think I actually saw it in, in the application for the, the podcast interview. You said, yes, we love what we do, but let's get paid well why we do it. And, and I'd love for you to just comment a little bit on the kind of the thought process, the psychology behind that statement before we go further. Um, I guess my biggest thing, and I'll, I'll be really quick. I had a friend. Her name is Courtney Cobb. She owns Eliza Jane Photography. She is an amazing photographer. She's based, she was based in California. She's now moved to Korea. She's whoa, absolutely. Yes. She's, she's doing so much, but, um, she came to me one year. I was second shooting a wedding with her out in California. And she was like, you know, I don't make enough money on a yearly basis. And she was making, uh, I want to say around ten to $11,000. Hmm. And I'm like, with your work, that is absolutely crazy. I don't hmm. understand how you're not making more. Her work was absolutely stunning. And we sat down, we went over her social media, we went over her website, we went over um, the way she handles her emails, and we were able to get her from that $10,000 up to fifty dollars to $60,000 hmm. within a six-month period. Oh, wow. And she was so, like, she was like, I cannot believe that just by tweaking a few things. Hmm. And my biggest thing is, you have to be great you have to be fast or you have to be cheap. A cheap photographer is going to stay booked constantly if their work is okay. Even, you know, it doesn't have to be amazing. It just has to be okay. They're going to stay booked because they're cheap and people want to not spend as much money as, you know, they possibly can. They want to sure. hold on to their money. Sure. You either have to be extremely fast and you have to give them a an amazing turnaround time to where you're taking their photos on Monday. They got their photos by Tuesday. They want their photos extremely fast. And now you appeal to all of those clients. Or you have to be just that great where you can take your time. You can charge as much as you want, but your photos speak for themselves and people are lining up to shoot with you because your work is that amazing. For okay. me, I, I believe I cross off great and fast. I try and do at least two of those because okay. for a wedding, you're going to get your, your full wedding gallery back in about 30 days, as opposed to, I've heard some people say it took them six months to get their, all of their photos back. I'm giving them back to you in 30 days. Yes, they're more expensive, but you didn't have to worry about too much on wedding day. You got your product back very quickly and it looks amazing when you receive it. So I, I stay booked. Yeah. It's not cheap, but you're going to have to continue to to figure out like different ways in order to appeal to the clients that you want to attract. Mm. So for me, the fast turnaround time, fast communication with my clients, my girls are, you know, I don't have time. 
I'm a businesswoman. I'm a professional um, man. I want to make sure that I, I get in and I get out. I need you to communicate with me quickly. They mm-hmm. don't want to wait mm-hmm. the 48 hours to speak to me. Sure. They want a response now. And I guess I appeal to those people. Mm-hmm. I have a guy that I shoot. Um, he's a realtor. He gets a two, he pays for a two up to a two hour session. He only spends 30 minutes shooting. He hates taking photos. Okay. However, I'm so quick and I know this about him mm-hmm. that I can say, okay, boom, 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 boom. Let's get you into all these different locations. All right, go change. And then he'll change, come back. All right, let's get you into here. 15 minutes in each look. He's a happy man at the end of the day. He doesn't yeah. care that we didn't spend the other hour and a half. He wants to get in and out. Hmm. I appeal to that for him. And then he's gone. Yeah. And you, you made an interesting point, which is understanding the way that your clients think, what it is that they're wanting and catering to that. This is, man, there's so many different directions we could go. I'm going to actually come back to this here in just a little bit, because I want to break each of these down. You actually shared a couple of other points before we started too, that I also want to bring up. But before we do that, let me come back to another statement. We're kind of breaking down some of your statements that you made, because this is an interesting one too. A lot of times when we get into conversations about making more money along with that narrative is also the narrative that, you know, you can do it overnight. You can do it next week. You can do it next month. And you emphasize leading up to today as well, the significance of slow and steady wins the race. Can you also comment on that idea as it relates to photographers kind of shifting their psychology about making money? Well, for me, I read that most businesses fail within the first five years. My biggest thing was I did not want to fall flat on my face. I used my inheritance from my mother to start my company, which was, you know, wasn't a whole lot. I bought a MacBook Pro. I bought my first camera and my digital lens. Mm. I paid for the website that I needed and, of course, created everything myself. But I took my time as far as I started out $50 sessions. Then maybe I jumped to $150. I didn't go from $50 sessions to $500. I took my time building up to the clientele that I have now. And now where I am, I feel like I could potentially get to the point where I have an even more expensive client, but I'm okay where I am. I don't want to run so fast into business and so fast into my growth that I end up stumbling and falling Mm. and then things fall apart with Hugh house. The goal was to have it opened at the beginning of this year, but I also, I want to take my time when I open Hugh house. I don't want to get it closed in the next, you know, six months after it's been open because I can't book anyone. And the idea is not completely a hundred percent finished. I want to make sure I take my time. I find that perfect space. The interior designer has time to put everything together And I'm slowly building my way to that success as opposed to just pick any space and throw anything in there and then open it up and call it Hugh House Studios. I want it to be done correctly. I want to take my time. It's an interesting, there's this kind of interesting dichotomy and I struggle with this too, which is got to get it out now because if I don't do it now, I'm going to miss the opportunity or somebody else is going to do it. But then to your point, also making sure that you at least got the basics in line and, and thought out. I mean, there's actually a strategy in place because that's, that's one of my biggest weaknesses. I'm like, here's the idea. Let's go do it. 
but I haven't taken the time to develop the strategy well enough. And as a result, to your point, then there's kind of some stumbling around that happens without that strategy, without that planning. So you're right. There's this kind of interesting balance between going for it, but then also not rushing it because you do need to make sure that you've got the right things in place before going there. So I want to come back to me. You talked about photographer or so many businesses shutting down within five years or less. And you, you talked about your friend making these shifts that enabled her to to progress, I mean, relatively okay. quickly, right? It wasn't overnight, but within six months, I mean, to increase revenue that significantly is, is really incredible. Were there certain mindsets? We're going to get into some principles here in just a little bit um, mm-hmm. that you shared with me earlier, but was there were there any kind of psychological struggles, if you will, that you think a lot of other photographers might also be able to relate to? that they need to overcome in order to, to kind of take it to the next level, to make a little bit more money. Any, any particular ideas come to mind there? I think for me, it's wanting to be like the next photographer, Hmm. the person that we look up to. And I did it. I think we all have done it. I had a photographer that I admired so much. I wanted my work to be just like her. However, she was a light and airy shooter. I did everything in my power to shoot light and airy, to edit light and airy, to make my work look just like hers. However, it took me longer to edit. It took Mm. me longer to produce the images because I was fighting against something that was natural for me. Mm. So as I started to understand that I have to shoot the way that looks the best to me, that I naturally gravitate towards, it became super fast super easy. My editing has changed. I would spend hours and hours trying to get the colors right in Lightroom, trying to shoot light and airy because that's what she was doing. And I wanted to be just like her. And now I can edit a full lifestyle session, which is about 20 images. I can do that in 15 minutes Sure. and get that done, get all the colors corrected. And then, you know, save it for the next day, come back, make sure colors are still okay. And then go ahead and submit to my client. Whereas I think most people are so stuck on the idea of being like someone else that they lose who they are. Hmm. And that becomes a huge problem within their companies. Yeah, it's a major distraction, isn't it? From just focusing on what really is actually most important. That's interesting. We could probably park there for a while too, but it really is kind of a natural segue to, um, you shared some points with me before we got started. I'm just going to kind of bring each of these up if it's okay uh, with our audience and and get your your take on each of them. This is kind of relevant actually to what you were just talking about, but you said that one of the first things that photographers, specific practical things that photographers can do to begin to increase revenue in their business is to get Mm -hmm. out of their own way. Yes. Talk a little bit about what that means on a practical level and a day-to-day life of a, of a photography business owner, how and why do photographers need to get out of their own way? I guess being stuck in what you think is going to be best. Like, um, you get an idea and you say, okay, I'm going to do this across my social media platform and you do it for six months. And you're like, I've been doing this for the last six months. I don't know why it's not working. It worked for this other person. It should definitely work for me. When I teach anyone and they're coming to me and they're asking me for advice, the same things that work for me, I'll tell you what they are, but they're not going to work for you because we're two completely different people. I guess we're trying to apply everything that we hear someone else say is going to be great. And we're trying to stick to it so much 
that we're missing the fact that we have to be able to say, I'm going to allow things to flow naturally and happen naturally. There's people who are shooting things that they don't want to shoot just because they feel like this is the this is the the realm I should be in. Mm. This is what I should be shooting. Mm. Families come to me all the time and they say, hey, we would love to get family photos done. And I do them maybe once a year, depending on if I really want to. And that's around the holidays. I can't tell you how much I hate shooting family photos, not because families aren't amazing. I love getting my family photos done. However, a two year old (laughs) will drain my energy faster than being at a 10 hour wedding. Yeah. For one hour with a two-year-old, I am just, I'm, I'm done for the day. Mm. Like, I'm completely drained. I've chased them around. I've made the noises. I've set things on top of my lenses. I've made the, the weird faces. And they've cried. And it's like, I, I don't want to shoot that. Could I make a ton of money doing it? Yes. Is that the best thing for me to do? For me, no. Because I'm going to start to hate my job. Mm. And we got into business not to hate our jobs. Right. So getting out of your own way is stop doing what everyone else wants you to do. Start doing what you want to do and then figuring out how to make the money doing just that. That makes sense. Yeah. We can almost say we need to, it's not just simply about getting it out of our own way, but almost getting out of the way of our, of our insecurities or our ego that drives that tendency, like you're talking about, to want to, to pay attention to what everybody else is doing and copy that thing or do that thing or go to that workshop or buy that equipment rather uh-huh. than doing what you know works. And, and it's not mindless just blindly doing what we want to, because like you said, there also has to be a market for it. We need to figure out how to make it a viable business. But simply being so distracted by what everybody else is doing because of our insecurities or our ego yeah. is is it's just, well it's just that it's distracting and it keeps us from being able to thrive so i think it's a really interesting point and you know we never want to hear that this is not this probably isn't the best avenue for you you should probably mm. try something different yeah. i had a young lady attend my wedding workshop one year she got all the way to the wedding workshop we're a whole day into the workshop second day i'm telling everyone hey pull up your instagram accounts make sure um i can see everything i'm pulling up the accounts, putting them up so that we can all look at them. And I scrolled through her page for maybe, I want to say two little scrolls. I went down maybe 18 blocks and I looked at her and I said, why are you here? Hmm. You're a maternity photographer. You're Hmm. not a wedding photographer. And she's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, your maternity photos are so amazingly stunning. I don't see the wedding photos on here. Like they're there. I can visibly see them. But they don't stand out to me because your maternity work was just that great. And she just looked at me and she laughed and she was like, but I've always wanted to shoot weddings. Second shoot for people. Mm. Have fun with it. But you're like you're you're so busy trying to pull away from what you are naturally doing to the absolute best of your ability that you're getting in your own way. That totally makes sense. Forgive the uh, the background noise. If anybody's listening in or watching, it, they decided to the, mow the apartment complex where I live today, <laughs> and now they're also blowing it out. So uh, I apologize ahead of time for any background noise. I was trying to kind of turn the volume down on my end. But I, oh, no, I, I can't hear it. 
Okay, good. Okay, perfect. But I, I absolutely hear what you're saying. And I think this is a really interesting point of conversation because there's a lot of there's a lot of discussion in our culture right now about comparison and how that can be damaging in various ways, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's talked about quite enough in the context of business and how it can actually keep us from being as effective as business owners. Not so much just that we're worried about hurting our ego, but that we're distracting from what, doing what would actually be most effective if we would just stay in our lane, essentially. And, yeah. and I think that's a really interesting point of conversation. But then you also alluded to something else, which brings me to the, to the second point that you shared with me earlier, which is also to be willing to change along the way. And, and you touched mm-hmm. on this a second ago, but if something isn't working, we don't just keep doing the same thing harder, right? And expecting we, a different outcome. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do they say? That's the definition of insanity, right? Insanity. Talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. So I would say... You, you keep pushing, you keep pushing down this road. Hey, I'm going to shoot. Um, let's say for me, I'm going to shoot family photos. I'm going to make this work. I just need to get kids that are sophisticated. No, you just need to get away from children because they're draining you. So <laughs> then I started to go in the direction of uh, 2019. I started to go in the direction of adults and I started to work with them more. And I'm like, you know what? I know I love weddings. But I, I also am starting to really like these branding lifestyle type of sessions. Mm. But then I hate the photos where everyone's in front of the computer and they're like, you know, I'm typing with a cup of coffee and like throwing their head back and the right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I absolutely hate those. Yeah. So that's when I put the lifestyle fashion twist on there. And I was like, I want the ladies who show up with their Louis Vuitton and their Gucci. Okay. And they're Hermes and, and they're like, Oh, this is what I do every single day. This is my lifestyle. I want that type of session. I started shooting those and I found that I was a whole lot more happier. And then 2020 hit and COVID took over. COVID wiped out all of my weddings for that year. I maybe shot five weddings the whole year where that's usually where I, I make all of my money, but because I didn't fight against the lifestyle fashion lane that I was getting pushed in naturally in 2019, I made the same amount of income and then some in 2020. Wow. Because everyone who was stuck at home needed content. Mm. And I was able to create that for them mm. and build an amazing, you know, an amazing brand for myself and, and allow people to find me in that way. The, if I hadn't done that, 2020 probably would have wiped my business out. Yeah. Yeah. You were willing to flex and flow in the moment and go where you saw opportunity and not just be mm-hmm. stuck on the idea that you were a wedding photographer, for example, you were open yep. to other possibilities and were willing to go that direction. And that's super important too. I, I still remember, and I've probably told this, this story in the podcast before, but I started shooting on film as well. You're talking about being a darkroom photographer. So I started in 2001 as a wedding photographer and I was shooting 35 millimeter and then of course medium format. But in that transition that happened from film to digital, it was interesting to kind of watch what the industry did. And there was a, there was a local wedding for, or a local lab actually that we used to, to take work to, to have printed. And mm-hmm. that, that lab owner got so fixated and ultimately bitter for some reason um, about the changes that were happening in the industry and this transition from film to digital. And 
I would go into the shop to take an order or pick something up and you'd hear him complaining yet again about this and that and didn't like this. And why did this company and that online lab and you know, all this stuff rather than being willing and open to change, to shift, to go the direction the industry was going. And unfortunately, because I've, we worked with them for a long time and really liked working with them. Unfortunately, their lab had to shut down. They weren't able to keep up. But it's that mindset of this is who I am or this is the way that I do things and not being open to other ideas that ultimately yeah. limited them, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm only film. I'm only film. And mm-hmm. then he had to make that switch in order to stay in business. And a lot of people don't understand that. If I didn't make that switch, I wouldn't be in business today. Right. I really think I would have been trying to figure out how can you make six figures working somewhere else? <laughs> right. Which I didn't come up with anything. So, <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Well, I want to go to one last point. You actually mentioned this earlier, but I want to bring it back up because there's so many different kind of directions that we can go with this too. You talked about the importance of being fast, great, or cheap. A couple touch points here. One that comes to mind is the significance of focus. A lot of times photographers, and we actually spend quite a bit of, of time on the podcast. We talked about brand position earlier. We talk about it quite a bit. And I think one of the significant points that's missed because photographers aren't paying attention to the significance of brand position is the significance of focus. When I used to go to, to networking meetings as a wedding photographer, and there might be four, five, six, seven other photographers there, the majority of them would get up and say largely the same thing. When they introduced themselves to the room, wedding vendors that they might have the opportunity to work for, they did little to separate themselves or to set themselves apart. They would largely say the same thing that the next person said. Or they might get up and say, I specialize in, and then list like five different types of photography. We all know they're not going to specialize in five different types of photography, right? Right. To that end, I, I think... The, the significance of focus many times is lost in our industry. So I, I like that you bring up, are you fast, great, or cheap? And of course, there are other directions that we can go, focuses that we can implement in our business. But talk just a little bit, if you don't mind, about the significance, first of all, of focus, of picking a lane and becoming really, really good at that versus just kind of doing everything and then ending up generic in the end. Um, At one point, I had product photography, family photography, um, couples and engagements, weddings, you name it. I had it on my website because it was like, I can take pictures of everything. Yes, we can. Does not mean that we should. Yes. While my product photography is good, it is not great. Hmm. I would not say, and, and there were cases where I would say, you know, I can take your family photos, but that's not my specialty. And I was telling that to clients and they didn't quite understand me. And then I just had to be blunt one day. And I was like, you know what? My family photos are not as good as this person. She's a whole lot better. You need to contact her. Hmm. You want to have my name attached to the photos because you like working with me Hmm. and because I shot your wedding and your engagement. But after that, after your maternity session, you got to move on. You got to go to someone else because I'm not your yearly photographer that watches the kids grow. I can't be that because to put it bluntly, I suck at families. (laughs) I don't know how to pose them and to keep, you know, the, the little guy from, running all over the place and destroying the setting. I I don't know how to do that. You must have had some really bad experiences. The amount that you've talked about how much you hate family photography. (laughs) There is one kid 
yeah. who made me snatch family photography off of my website. Oh, wow. Okay. His name is Ethan. <laughs> I, Ethan was so adorable. Yeah. But his grandma brought him for photos. She showed up. She looked amazing. When she left, she was drenched in sweat from head to toe. Oh, my. That's how bad Ethan was. He pushed his sister down. He, did, I mean, you name it, Ethan did it. And you're like, I'm I done. Never, I will never forget Ethan. When I got home, I deleted that page from my website and was like, <laughs> I don't shoot children anymore. Yeah. And it's because it's like I didn't know how to handle it. But had I been a true, an actual wedding or an actual family photographer, I would have been able to handle that situation so much better. I wouldn't have panicked. Mm. Like for me to be at a wedding and to see some crazy things go on mm. and to know exactly what to do in a mm. moment. At a family session, I'm panicked. I'm like, I don't know what to do with him. He's like losing it. What do I do next? Sure. So I, I guess making sure that you're going to be able to be flexible in what you do. If you're not good at something, don't list it. Leave it to someone else. That That's what referrals are for. We're all supposed to be able to be in this and make money together. And there are more than enough clients who need different things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If they need great brand photography, I'm not saying, hey, I want to take pictures of you with your laptop because that's not what I do. But here is someone who does. Sure. And she's amazing or sure. he's amazing. Yeah, well, it, you know, you you mentioned again the significance of being flexible. We have to sometimes for the sake of being effective business owners. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we really do need to. I, I think anyway that not only does it ultimately in many cases make our businesses more successful if we focus on one or maybe two things, mm -hmm. but it also enables us a little bit more freedom and flexibility as business owners. We can have a little bit more of a life because now we're not juggling 68 different things all the time. We can focus on these specialties, actually become good at them, and to develop a brand that is known for those specialties. And, of course, yeah. that just makes our marketing efforts that much easier. Last question for you, if you don't mind, here before we finish up. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier the reality, which is that some photographers, if they want to, can shoot, can, can focus on kind of the cheap model, right? Charging mm -hmm. less and just shooting at high volume. This has been a business model that's fascinated me for a very long time. When I started shooting weddings, I, I started at $350, and, and then I worked my way up to shooting for thousands. But I think that there is a missed opportunity in the, say, 60 to 70% of the weddings photographed in the U.S. every year, for example, that are something like uh, $2,000 or $1,800 and below. There's a large segment of the market that is that price point that really isn't being proactively taken care of. And okay. I'm curious your thoughts um, regarding, because I think a lot of times photographers, I understand that they kind of treat that as a stepping stone because they want to charge more and shoot less. Totally makes sense. Yes. But then there's this, this massive portion of the market that's not being served. So your thoughts on the importance of that market and maybe a few thoughts on how you think photographers might be able to serve that market and be able to scale that effort so they don't burn themselves out in the process. Well, not everyone has, you know, my starting wedding collections down here in Atlanta, I guess it's like 4,800 and that's for nothing. That's just me and eight hours sure. and then going up from there, 6,300 and, and up. Not mm -hmm. everyone has that to spend on just mm -hmm. photography for their wedding. Yeah. So for me personally, I made the first look photography because 
I don't show up. You don't get to have me shoot it. However, you get my editing style and you get a better price point. Hmm. You get a price point that is going to be, that's going to work with your budget a little bit more. So we're starting at 3000 and you're going to get two photographers for that. You don't Hmm. have to add the extra, you know, I want to make sure that you have everything you can possibly need. You're going to get more for less money. And I think if we looked at it as those photographers who charge less, I know people who've been in the business for years and years and years longer than me, but they're still considered cheap and they like the high volume. They want to go out and shoot as much as possible. And they want to have, you know, 12 weddings that month Mm -hmm. and they're charging 2000 and up for a wedding Mm -hmm. and it's okay for them. And that's perfectly fine. I was there at one point, but now that I have so many other things going on, I have to price myself out of some people's budgets because I want to be able to stay home a little bit more, work less, but make the same amount of money, if not more. I think that we can't look down on people who charge less. There's nothing wrong with it. You have to make your business plan according to what your lifestyle is and what you need financially. A lot of a lot of us will say, you know, you definitely need to raise your prices and they'll get mad at another photographer for being cheaper. It's so weird to me. I don't understand why people get so upset about that topic. I don't either, because it's like there's so many people out here who can't afford the starting price of some of us. Mm -hmm. Why shouldn't they still be able to get amazing photos? But for a lower price point, you appeal to your clients and allow them to appeal to theirs. And there are some clients out there that's like, I don't want to pay that little bit of money. I want to go with, you know, I want to go with the Gucci of the photographers, not the Target photographer. Right. And that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. But you you make an interesting point, which is that it regardless of, you know, because again, photographers are kind of funny in that they project this, this so-called need onto everyone to prioritize photography to the extent that they would spend thousands of dollars in photography. And the reality is whatever the photographer is saying has little bearing or relevance for that matter to the amount of money this person has in their bank account. And many people just don't have that much money. I've told this story before, but when I got married 20 some odd years ago or whatever it was, my, my, parents at the time paid $600 for the wedding photographer. Now we have to figure for inflation a little bit, but even so let's call it a thousand dollars today. Yeah. And that was a lot of money for them because my parents didn't have a lot of money. So, and and that's just the reality for a large segment of, of the population and to, to talk down to a photographer who is serving a segment of the population that needs photography at that type of price point it just seems kind of asinine to me, and I don't understand why there's so much ego involved in those conversations. So I'm glad that you're that you're pointing out the reality, which is that that needs to exist, and mm. there's no reason for us to be talking down to those types of photographers. What's what's smart, and you've done this, you've demonstrated this, is coming up with a business model that enables you to serve that segment of the market in a way that doesn't burn you out. Um, yeah. You've brought on associate photographers, and I think that's really great. And that's a whole different conversation. But um, they're making money. I'm making money, mm-hmm. and and everyone is happy. And mm-hmm. it's to the point where it's like, yes, I was seeing so many people come through my emails that are like, "Hey, my budget is twenty five hundred. My budget is three thousand And I'm like, "Well, I'm already eighteen hundred dollars over their budget." 
I need to make sure I'm not losing all of these clients just because I personally can't be there and I can't serve them. Right. So then first look photography, I get a bunch of people who have their businesses, they're successful, but they do like to second shoot. Who doesn't like to shoot? Hand over your images and walk away. And then you only edit the ones that you love. That's a perfect world for at least a year or two. I was second shooting mainly and I was, I was loving it. Hmm. Very well, little responsibility. <laughs> that's true. And so much opportunity to learn too. Yes. Well, I, I want to, maybe we can kind of finish up this conversation. I, I want to jump back over to your website. Cause you, you obviously from your experience, you have a lot of wisdom to offer based on even just a short conversation today. And I know over on your website, I'm going to pull this up here really quickly. Mm-hmm. For anybody who's listening, you go to lajoyphotography.com. There's a section there called for, or that says for photographers. And of course, there's a picture there on the, on the header demonstrating a, a workshop. It looks like a shooting workshop or maybe a style mm-hmm. shoot. But talk to us a little bit about some of the education that you offer to the photography community. Um, I really work with a lot of photographers because I feel like for myself, I'm not an expert in anything. But if I can help you, I will definitely help you. So I work with a lot of entry level photographers who are interested in wedding photography, as well as just getting their settings correct and portrait photography. Um, I work with people on Lightroom editing and I don't dive into Photoshop right now only because I feel like there's a right way of doing things and a wrong way of doing things. I maybe do a lot of the things in Photoshop wrong and I don't (laughs) want to teach people wrong. So I don't teach it at all. It works for me, Mm -hmm. but I definitely don't want to teach the wrong thing. And then people are like, Hey, I learned that from LaJoy. And it's like, no, that's the wrong way to do frequency separation, but it works. And my client, you know, it looks good for me. So I, I focus on that entry level person that's coming in or that person that's like, I'm stuck at you know, X amount of money, and I want to definitely learn how to make more, then I go through the same system I went through with my friend and we touch base on everything. And I customize an approach for each person who does the six figure hustle in order to say, Hey, how can we get you to the point where you're making more money? Mm -hmm. This didn't work for you, but let's try this instead. This did work for you, Okay, so now let's add this to it and make it even better. And that's my biggest thing. I want to help wherever I possibly can. We do a lot of the one-on-one coachings where I talk to people about um, pretty much a little bit of anything. I tell them to get a list of things together. We spend five hours together and they just rattle off questions and we eat and we shoot and we talk and we go over their websites there emails, everything. Mm. So I I really do like to focus on helping people make more money and not feel overwhelmed in their current jobs to the point where they feel like they can't eventually be full-time business owners. Well, I I appreciate you sharing a little bit of that. And it sounds really appealing, especially like you said, somebody who's starting out and it just doesn't really have the perspective to even know which end is up, which way to go. Um, to be able to come to you for that is really wonderful. So what we're going to do, um, I'll, of course, pop this up on the screen here. It's lajoyphotography.com and then also LaJoy Photography LLC. If you all are interested in connecting with LaJoy, make sure that you reach out to her there, either through her website or through Instagram. We'll, of course, put it in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. 
But LaJoy, I really appreciate you making time to do this today, sharing some wisdom, having some fun conversation with me. Thank you. I'm so happy that you guys had me today. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening in and make sure to check out the resource, which is the show notes. If you go to bocapodcast.com and uh, we'll talk to everybody soon. All right.